Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. Good evening, and thank you for joining us on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. Normally, I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, but today I am abdicating for the Keeper Regent, or the Keeper of Arcane Lore, as we like to call her, Bridget Jeffries, is joining us for another episode of Regency Cthulhu, Echoes in the Mist. We are so thankful to have her and the rest of the cast, and so I will turn the table to her. Hello, hello, everyone. My name is Bridget. Thank you for the beautiful introduction, Mike. Uh, We are back with episode four of my Regency Cthulhu limited campaign written specifically for the Old Ways podcast, Echoes in the Mist. Uh, Before we get started, let's, sorry guys, episode three was real heavy. Let's unveil this cast, starting with John. Tell us who you are, who you're playing, and I'm really afraid to ask for this one, but I will be consistent. What is one thing that stuck out to you from the previous episode, to your character from the previous episode? Hi, I'm John. I'm playing Hugo Bartleby. And uh, that third part is a real big question, but um, I guess that I'm going to have to kill, ooh, at the very least, ceiling people. They might, it might get weirder than ceiling people, but I'm going to kill them. And uh, nobody, nobody even gets to pretend to hurt my dog. That's, mm, no, that's not how that's going to go. Moving on to Noob, tell us who you are, who you're playing, and something that stuck out to your character during episode three. Hello, hello. I am your noobish Indian girl playing Miss Vidya Ambani. As is typical in Regency Cthulhu, women apparently are not allowed to have an occupation, but your girl has a ton of money, so I'm a rich heiress. I think what stood out for me the most from the last episode is probably, you know, levitating out of my own control, being pressed up against the ceiling. That's a very real fear that I didn't know that I uh, now have. So thank you, Bridget. Ooh, episode three is one for the book. Sorry about that, noob. Ooh, all right. And uh, finish us off, please. Mike, tell us who you are, who you're playing, and something that stood out to your character. I am Keeper Michael. My pronouns are he, him. I am playing Captain. Robert Dance, whose most potent memory from episode three must be holding his dead, pregnant wife's ghostly belly while he intoned some strange chant in hopes of fixing the issue with his teeth falling out. But now that aside, um, he's hoping that um, there aren't any more uh, celestial events Anytime soon. I make no promises. Mr. Diamond, would you be so kind as to continue us on with Lord Byron's poem, Darkness, that was written and inspired by the season in which you all are living in, The Year Without Summer? Absolutely. 
and war, which for a moment was no more, did glut himself again. A meal was bought with blood, and each sate sullenly apart, gorging himself in gloom. No love was left. All earth was but one thought, and that was death, immediate and inglorious, and the pang of famine fed upon all entrails. Men died. Their bones were tombless as their flesh. The meager by the meager were devoured. Even dogs assailed their masters, all save one, and he was faithful to a course, and kept the birds and beasts and famished men at bay, till hunger clawed them, or their dropping dead lured their lank jaws. Beautifully done, Michael Diamond. So, I can't call you my investigators anymore because you all are now heralds. You are the echoes that precede death. You are the tellers of what is to come. After your combined events, everyone in Millpuddle is brought outside as the comet passes overhead and eventually disappears from view. But it left, it left something other than horror and trauma, disfigurement and death. There... In the center of Millpuddle is a cloud, a fog, a mist that idles just inches off of the ground. It's easily the size of any of the greatest manor houses here, one either owned by the Blands or the White family. And it's just idling there and agonizingly slow. It moves with colors of gray and red and pinks. And over the course of the following two weeks, the wind does not disperse it. The rains does not disperse it. It doesn't move. It doesn't grow. It just idles there, slowly changing colors. I am going to throw you guys into a quick two-week montage on how the village of Mill Puddle is doing after every single one of you who lived suffered some type of emotional or traumatic cataclysmic event that could only be stopped by accepting your position as a herald. Most of the people in Mill Puddle they don't they don't enjoy or they don't look forward or they won't willingly discuss their individual moments. It's one of those things they just prefer to act like it didn't happen. There are phrases and terms and diagnoses and things of that nature that go along with, oh, well, this was just a celestial event. We were all out of our minds for a moment, but let's just not talk about it. The only course here is to move on because you can't really leave Mill Puddle, can you? The, the major cities are under siege by riots and chaos. And there's nothing actually happening here now. Things have settled down. The dust has settled. It's just this mist is your new neighbor that hangs out in the middle of town. So I'm going to go around the table, uh, starting with Mike. And I just want you to give me how you're doing, what this looks like, and what you've been up to for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think uh, Captain Dance's first order of business, probably in the next, you know, in the, in the days that follow, right, would be to take a full assessment along with grace of the house 
of what we have, and then an assessment of our guests' um, belongings, including their animals, and then very clearly to draw a line between us and them, and them being everyone else. And so I think that the way this is part and parcel to his profession, Dance feels like he was attacked. The house was attacked. And in very much it was. And so he will likely do what most people of station would do, which would be to circle the wagons, close the doors, and exist in a safe space, which is between these walls, even if the walls did end up bleeding. But that's probably the his perspective on things. His care and concern would be with primarily the house first. And then once those matters were mostly calm, he would attempt to discern Grace's plans for Miss Vidya's coming out party, because that still has to happen. And so any sort of push or pull with Grace on that would be with the understanding that the party must happen. Must. And so whatever must be done to make sure it moves forward, he'll see to it if he has to. Beautifully done. Uh, and versus interrupting and replying in kind, I'm just going to move directly on to John and I'll reconcile us all together. Sorry, Hugo. What have you been up to for the past couple of weeks? What does life look like for Sir Baruby at this moment? I've mostly been helping out Captain Sir Dance. I go out, do things, get things. If people won't give me the things, I ensure that they will give me the things. Haven't been willing to go within even a hundred yards of this mist cloud because of my experience. But I have been checking in with my family. Not for my... Even though I have to talk to them. Not for my father and sister. Purely for my youngest sister and my... uh prospective child bride. Yeah, I did promise I'd keep her safe, so presumably I'm not getting much out of her, but I am still showing up. I'm making sure that both of them are okay, they don't have any visible marks. But yeah, mostly I am assisting Captain Dance. I'm just... Anything that needs doing, I am doing. Okay. And last but totally not least, Miss Vidya Ambani. What have the last two weeks looked like for you? I think the past two weeks have looked like a lot of Vidya staying inside, even though everyone in Millpuddle has probably experienced something similar. Vidya knows that it would be very easy to shift some blame onto her since the events of that night happened after she arrived. So Vidya is a little terrified to go outside, so she's going to stay inside as much as possible take some comfort in etiquette lessons to at least get back to some semblance of normalcy. And I think if she is able to see the mist outside, she's looking through windows, looking at it. As long as she doesn't have to go outside to see it. She's carefully observing it from a distance and is obviously hoping all the animals are safe for the past two weeks. (laughs) Okay. This is going to be a collective, more or less shared response. Miss Vidya Ambani, the more you analyze the mist from a distance, of course, you're not going outside. Life got very, very interesting, very fast since your arrival here in Mill Puddle. But 
the longer you stare at the mist, it happens every time. If you're watching it for more than 10, 15 minutes, you'll hear a voice in your head that says, all hail the whaler in the dark. All hail the whaler And I imagine the it's dark. probably one of those moments you're like, no, we'll shut the curtains and just not deal with that. Exactly. Grace, your sister, Captain Dance, understands the necessity of tradition. And she also respects the responsibility of your charge and the gravity that comes with it. So uh, she is stepping forward to broker an arrangement either with the Bland family or White family to see if either one of these, you know, major houses will host Miss Vidya's coming out ball. There's no resistance whatsoever on that. Uh, she will meet you halfway on all of that. Good. Miss Vidya, it's a long two weeks inside. And at some point, uh, you will be given a formal introduction to one Miss Diana Bartleby. Wait, I'm curious. Has anyone told Vidya that you're engaged yet, Hugo? Oh, well, I didn't. <laughs> I don't like talking about it to anyone. Okay. <laughs> I told my best friend because this is going to affect you, too. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Vidya doesn't need to know. It's fine. Okay. Miss Vidya, at some point, you're going to have, probably by uh, race, uh, Grace Ratcliffe, you're going to have a formal introduction to one Miss Diana Bartleby who is going to be announced as the younger sister of um, Sir Hugo Bartleby, and then a Miss Fanny Talboy's future bride of Sir Hugo Bartleby. You're looking around. You're 15. Diana is 12, and uh, the bride, Miss Fanny, is 16. So you're all more or less around that same age group. And when Diana is formally presented to you, her very first order of business, would you like to go skating with us? And she holds up this new cool invention that somebody has acquired for her. God knows who, because it definitely wasn't her sister or her father. Uh, but she has these new things called roller skates. And they're a boot, more or less. They have like these crude wheels on them. And apparently you can roll around on them. I have never gone skating, but uh, yes, I, this looks, it looks so fun. H having the opportunity to do something that seems like it's just for the sake of fun and enjoyment is right up Vidya's alley. And in the back of this cottage, there's like a, a paved area where you could host like an outdoor gathering or an outdoor dinner and things of that nature. And just in that brief break from the just monotony of rain on rain on rain, just one of those moments where you can get a couple hours of not sunshine, but just no rain. The three of you guys, you have to share all one pair of skates, but <laughs> that's... <laughs> An entire thing where you guys can actually go outside and you can skate. This is great. This is awesome. This is exactly what I needed. I feel like Vidya is just happy to be around like other girls that are like close in age to her as well, who, you know, know about like the experience of having like, a come out party or, you know, having to get the pressure of being married off at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. Just in talking with these three girls, one thing is for sure, the two of them are just video they're just sweet they're just really sweet amiable girls you're able to catch a few things just in the conversation one miss diana has some concerns about her marriage prospects um, because of the way that she speaks she's worried that that might deter her uh, her older sister has some choice names uh, that she calls her in private that are very harmful and very hurtful but she is very excited because apparently her brother is going to wind up escorting her to her uh, first coming out ball so there's that Hugo isn't aware of this yet, but you are apparently. 
Fanny, it takes a while for you guys to pull her out of her shell. Even while she's out skating with you or feigning laughter or trying to participate, uh, two things constantly have her attention. The mist. She won't talk about what happened that night like many people won't. And also whatever door goes into the dance house because she's honestly concerned whether or not Hugo is coming or going. And you can catch that she's constantly toggling between those two things. Hmm. Can I ask Hugo's sister what names she's being called behind her back? I feel like this is something that I know Hugo would want to know. Yeah, as she's pulling off, unstrapping the skates and handing them over to you. There are several names. I think the most... She calls me, she calls, she calls me, and she's going to get out rattle tongue, uh, stupid, idiot, and cotton mouth. Well, I don't think that those are very nice things to say to you, and they don't seem accurate at all. So I hope that you don't let your sister's words get to you too much. No one deserves to be called that. And Vidya makes a mental note to remember those names and go tell Hugo. Again, montage scenes were two weeks. Hugo, you're going to eventually find out about these names. Eventually, yeah. Even if we don't roleplay it out, just in talking with her, you're going to be able to catch Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to catch these names. There is going to be a meeting of the elders. And by a meeting of the elders, this means this is going to be like the top uh, 20% of men of uh, either power or wealth are going to be uh, invited to the public house to have a meeting. This is a big thing because you guys haven't had a formal meeting of the elders or a convening of the elders um, in some time. They haven't met since they all escaped from pool. There was that whole evacuation and things got busy. But then there was the events that happened the night that the Herald, the night that you guys arrived, and then the mist and things of that nature. So I would like to know just in conversation as you're sitting there with, let's say, eight of the other men in town, Sir Broderby and Sir Dance, you guys are going to be at this meeting just bounce back and forth with me things that you want to discuss, things that are on the table, things of that nature. I think the captain's first concern is pool in the broader sense and finding a pathway to establishing order. I know that we're fairly safe here, but my concern would be sending a writer to uh, perhaps even to London to advise them as to what's, what's happened here. And, um, If there are no other military men here, then what Dance puts in the letter would likely include a request for a garrison of troops to be sent immediately under his command to enforce the Prince Regent's law as is required. He likely would not say that to the other men. He would just say that order would have to be established here and that while His ship does have many men. They are sailors. They are not um, trained for these things. Bartleby, anything you would want to add to discussion? Of course, your father is at this meeting as well. He has looked, one, he looked worse for wear when you arrived, but whatever he encountered or whatever he experienced during the night that the Herald arrived, he looks 10 times worse. Mm. Bartleby's main thing is basically any propositions put forward by Captain, (laughs) Captain Sir Dance. I second <laughs> immediately. Okay. Like, no hesitation, just seconded. I keep tabs on anyone who looks disgruntled when he talks. Mm. I am basically scanning these old fuckers for, for who's going to undermine my boss. 
Okay. Yeah. As you are discussing these items and you are co-signing, uh, Sir Bartleby, Captain Dance, there's a, a brief argument that breaks out between William White, the patriarch of the White family. And again, this is the probably the number one wealthiest family that evacuated to this area. And Arthur Bland of the Bland family, who thinks he's the number one wealthiest person. Probably they're neck and neck, but really it doesn't matter. They're both, they're the ones that live in those huge estates on the other side of the cobblestone bridge. There's a brief argument that breaks out when you, another one, uh, that breaks out when you mention, uh, oh, you know, we need to send a messenger to London. And basically, William White is accusing Arthur Bland of arrogance and righteousness and recklessness. You have a citizen of London under uh, the roof of your home. He should not, should he not be at this meeting? He could give us details of how things are faring in London and. Arthur Bland is making arguments like, no, he's my personal tailor that I brought down from London. He doesn't have to come to these meetings. This is our new toy. It's that type of thing going on right now uh, that are going back and forth. But it seems like the majority of the people are siding with White. Like, if you have somebody from London there, bring him here so we can hear what's going on in London. You can't hoard information like that. And and Arthur Bland is, you know, like, you know, no, this is, this is my new toy. I'm going to keep it at my house. I see. Okay, so... As far as Bland's position on this, is there anything he's if he's a personal tailor, then he's of un, he's he's under no requirement. Uh, he has no status other than the fact that he's a tailor. And even though he might be a, a fair and wonderful tailor, he's not a man of status. So I, mentally, this is probably what dance is, is spinning on. And I think then that his mind would say. This is just a it's a it's a something to squabble over. This is simply a, a bone to f- throw back and forth. And so it, his opinion, if asked, assume essentially that someone will eventually come to him or he'll be goaded into discussing it would be that, um, that that a tailor is neither a lord nor a sir. So while he is a guest from London, there's no requirement for him to show. And then I would simply water that a little bit by looking at Bland and say, but if he does know something that would be important for the community to be aware of, I think it would be an interest for you to share it with us. Because we are all interested in hearing what's going on. Captain Dance is one, an extremely charismatic fellow. Can I get a role to accompany that? I feel like that's a nice charm role. Sure. Charm is a skill that I have. Yeah, to get them to see eye to eye, at least in this moment, about this. I will spend the four points of luck and make that a success. Okay. You speak. The Blands and the Whites are not they're not happy with what has been said, but they are satisfied enough to move forward where uh, author Bland will, you know, send a servant out of the room to bring forth uh, this tailor to make introductions and to speak as to the news that he has from London. I'm going to cut really fast over here, over to you, Noob. Uh, This is something that is going to happen within the two weeks uh, that you're there, especially after Diana and Fanny uh, have spoken about, you know, your good nature and how much fun they have had with you. Again, this is also booming from the fact that you just got 12 reputation points for coming in with this entourage. So that is leaning in kind of to this, like this notoriety that you have. Uh, But at some point, you are going to be introduced to one young lady by the name of Emma Bland of the Bland family. And this 
is one of those women that secretes etiquette out of her skin. Like her posture is strong. Her hair is pristine. She looks absolutely marvelous. And it's just one of those things that she doesn't walk as much as she glides from place to place. Ms. Rockcliffe will make introductions and Emma will wind up inviting you to come shooting with her. And you're learning this slowly over time, but uh, women of a certain financial class, mostly like that top 1%, were allowed to take shooting lessons. Uh, it was more of a, like a, a competition for the two of them. You're not quite sure exactly how serious this competition really is, but you have been formally invited by a member of the Bland family. And it's just one of those things when Emma comes into the room and she invites you to go shooting with her, uh, even Grace Rockcliffe is showing a certain degree of deference. I feel like I definitely take a lot of my cues from Grace, especially mm -hmm. over the past two weeks. So I realize that this is a very important person. And uh, yeah, I graciously accept the offer. It sounds like it would be quite a grand way to pass the time. Fantastic. You're ready now then, of course. Uh, yes, I, I am. Grace kind of blanches for a moment and she's looking left to right and she's like, all right, let me go get a servant to go get her some boots and mm -hmm. to try to get this ready. And she says, I shall see you at my family's estate, say in an hour. That sounds great to me. Vidya is saying, trying to maintain some composure because... I, I don't think Vidya is used to anything like this, but she's totally down to be a yes and girl in this moment. Emma will leave and Grace is going to wind up getting you ready. And this is going to be the crash course of all crash course on etiquette. Okay, listen, I don't know if you've ever even shot a gun before, but this is one of those things you have to let her win. It would be disrespectful if you showed her up. That would do this. That would do this. Make sure that you don't do this. Make sure you don't do this. Make sure, I mean, and she's just running down a rapid fire list. She's redressing you about all the things you can and cannot do in this situation. I mean, a Hugo showed me how to shoot a gun. Uh, you know, uh, I really, I, I really don't know too much about it, but you're saying Emma has to win. Yes, darling, that's what I'm saying. That would be the most advantageous for you. We just secured your coming out ball for their rival's house. I don't believe this is as much about you as much as this is them scoping out the competition. This could be a very dangerous encounter for you, darling. Okay, well, I'm not very good at shooting anyway, so the likelihood I succeed at this is, I don't know, it's been a while since since Hugo took me shooting. Mm -hmm. So, but I will keep that in mind. I must lose at all costs. But you can't lose so much because a woman of your status has to have been. Oh, this is so confusing. I have to be good, but not too good, but not too bad. Yes, darling. Oh, boy. You will be able to make it over to the Bland estate. And again, this is like over the cobblestone bridge and onto their like estate where they have an entire shooting range set up and they have it targeted specifically where the bullets are going to go into the red mist. Seems like that was very intentional. So their targets that they have set up full of straw are all facing the mist. So wherever you shoot from, the bullets are going to go through the straw and into this red mist. And to your shock and horror, when you arrive, this isn't just, hey, let's go shooting with the girl across the street. Uh, she has an entire audience here. She has all of her servants here. She has an entire family here, other than, you know, her father that's probably at this meeting that's happening simultaneously. There's a full audience for when you arrive. 
Vidya, as you are approaching Emma, and she's standing there in an overcoat and this gorgeous hat that has feathers hanging out the back. Um, she looks regal uh, in this moment as she's like dangling a rifle off of her um, arm. Uh, she looks at you as you approach and you can see just the villainy and the the evil that's almost like dripping off of this smile. And the second you hit the ground here in this area, those tongues start wagging. You can see, you know, women covering their faces and whispering back and forth. You can hear various statements from why does she smell like that? To, oh, this is who everyone is fawning over to, you know, the mist came the same night that she did. And there's that running through the whispers of people around you. And it's one of those moments you're like, maybe maybe I should have come with Dance or Bartleby. Grace is there and she will do her best with you. Mm-hmm. But there's only so much a woman's, you know, Grace can extend in this moment. I, I look at Grace with a, a, an utter look of panic, trying to convey all of my conflicting emotions right now. And I confirm with her again, I, I, have, I have to lose, but not by too much. Uh, And she hears these comments going around. She's hearing the blatant racism. Um, And she looks to you and she's just going to just very gently uh, smooth out uh, any droplets of moisture that might be on your left and right shoulders. And she says, no, Miss Ambani, I think I was wrong. Show her who you are. Oh, boy. Then she'll give you a kiss on the forehead and she will go and take a seat. It's so interesting because my first impression of Emma was, you know, full etiquette. She glides around like an angel. And then to suddenly see her like this is very full bitch mode. And she looks to me. She says, oh, well, don't be shy. Your place is here. Shall we? We certainly shall. I need you to please roll me an etiquette check, babe. An etiquette check. An etiquette check, please. Okay. Because everyone is watching you. How is she walking? How is she dressed? How does she approach this? How is she poised? Oh, boy. My etiquette is not great. Oh, I fail. Okay. That is not a critical failure or anything of that nature, so I'm not going to mess with your reputation score yet. But as you approach, you know, this platform uh, where you are ready... The last thing I'm going to need from you is a firearms check, please. Oh, boy. Be a firearms pistol check for you. Mm-hmm. I succeeded. Bravo. Okay. You approach the podium. All eyes are on you. And Emma is just stripping you down with her gaze. And you look at the firearm. You look at the pistol that they have set aside for you. And there's something wrong with it. It's been deliberately tampered with. Hopping back over to the gentlemen's meeting over at the bar, it doesn't take long for them to bring in one Harvey Davidson. Harvey Davidson is introduced into the room. This is a chocolate-skinned Black man who is standing right around 6'3", 6'4". I mean, this is a very tall, very lean, very well-put-together man. And when he walks in, he doesn't look and smell like money. But whatever he can do on a sewing board is absolutely spectacular. The pattern designs that he has just on his waistcoat is absolutely spectacular. Looking at it, all you want to do is like touch it, run your fingers over it, and understand how in the world he got his stitching that well. The 
coat that he's uh, wearing isn't rigid like the coats that you guys wear where they're uncomfortable and you can't turn and you can't bend over without it scrunching or pulling up it's moving with him he's walking in wearing a navy blue and mustard yellow version of water it moves with him it glides with him and he comes in he pulls off his hat uh he bows and he says gentlemen I understand that my presence has been requested by... And he looks around and you can see that he's rolling his tongue over his top lip a little tellingly. And he goes, one... Ah, there you are. Captain Dance. Then he bows again. How may I be of service to you, sir? Well, far be it for me to want to see anyone such as yourself, dressed as splendidly as you are. You are very kind be um, unceremoniously socially dragged here in this building. I requested your presence as someone who's gotten the most likely gotten the most recent word from London to inform the men here what is happening in our fair state. If you could shed any light, that would be exceedingly helpful. And he nods and he rolls his tongue the opposite way over his top lens. He says, things in London are... Well, in transparency, Captain Dance, they are not well. The riots have consumed London as well. The people who starve in the streets. And he pauses for a moment because he's getting ready to go down one path. And he's like, no, that's I'm not safe. And he steps right back. He says, "Uh, those people have a mantra now. It is bread or blood, I do believe. Blood or bread. A combination of those. But. London has seen its better days. The majority of the hmm, armed forces of England have been pulled to London to help support the capital in the time of these riots. It has left some of the smaller towns, as you're sure aware and cool, rather undefended. This is as I feared. Well, I do appreciate that. Do you have any word, perhaps, of the Prince Regent's plan to deal with it? It's it's been some months since I was at the Prince Regent's court. Unfortunately, Captain Dance, I cannot say with any certainty what his grace's plan is. Survival. It's more likely on the foremost of his mind, I can only imagine. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. All right. I sort of turn to the portion of the room which was so eager to hear from this man, and I'll say, Do any of you I extend an arm out? have anything that you would like to ask of this man and I'll specifically look at those people in this room I know who were desperate salivating for this man to be here and it shouldn't surprise you Captain Dance but one of those household men is going to step up like yes are you taking commissions before the ball in two weeks I put my hand up sit down how dare you really it shouldn't surprise you but you know somebody's just like the Blands are hogging one of London's best tailors. Can somebody get him out of the house, please, so we can talk to him, too? <laughs> I will step closer to Mr. Davidson and uh, draw in my um, uh, my counselor's voice. So going from orator to counselor and say, I do appreciate your uh, attending us with this information. I will not forget uh, your appearance. Or how could I? He smiles respectfully and he is looking forward 
uh, over the faces of everyone who's watching you. And he says something that's just, just audible to you. He says, and of course, who could forget an appearance such as yours? And it's a very blatant, obvious flirtation move. But no one heard it but you. I'll look back at, at, at Arthur Bland and say, uh, I don't believe there's anything else. I do appreciate your uh, calling Mr. Davidson in such a short notice. Uh, and Arthur Bland will stand and he will bow respectfully. And uh, that's more or less Harvey's cue to leave. So uh, he will bow as well and he will look to you. And he says, uh, Captain, Captain, I am your humble servant. Happy to be called upon at any time. I should not forget that. I smile. And he bows again and he's on his way out when he stops and he looks at you, Sir Hugo Bartleby. And he looks you up once and he looks you up down. And he says, I think I do have room for one additional commission, if you're interested, Sir Bartleby. Well, that's very kind of you, Mr. Davidson. I'll be privileged to take you up on that. And he nods. Roll me a psychology check, please. Mm -hmm. Oh, another 14. Holy cow. I have a question for you. What is a two or three, maybe four to five word sentence that Annie always repeats again and again and again? Probably when she's annoyed. May the stars fall on you, anything like that. Don't let it get to your head. That's very Annie, I think. That's so Annie. <laughs> so you say it would be a privilege and he smiles at you and he's he's making sure that he's locked on to you eye to eye. So he's like, oh, please, um, sir Bartleby, don't let that get to your head. He winks at you, and then he walks out. And see, that's also one that works really well in any conversation. It really does. It's perfect. That's why Annie uses it. <laughs> like, it, it's just good to know that we've got a connection here and in this shithole that isn't just out for themselves. Well, he probably is, but at least he's got similar out for himself as to us. You're on the same team of out for themselves if there were teams of selfishness. <laughs> Look, we can rely on the fact that he will probably not, if he's friends with Annie, or at least an associate, or has a message from her. Yeah. He probably isn't super happy about his main clientele. <laughs> no, no. But you know, you got to do what you got to do. Hey, they got the money. As he leaves, William White says, uh, how fortuitous of you, Sir Bartleby. Perhaps he can make your your nuptial arrangement as well. Congratulations, by the way. I don't think I've had an opportunity to say this for you. And the whole room starts clapping. Bartleby, like, stands up. I join gives in. Gives a stiff little bow. <laughs> respectfully, respectfully join in. <laughs> because to not clap would show a wrong face. And I can't do yep. that. Mm -hmm. No, I totally get Bartleby like you know the captain sold him down river. Bartley's been Barry knows there's a plan. He's just like, Oh, thank you, Mr. White. That is very kind of you. Yes, uh young Fanny and I look forward to the day. Sir Bartleby, can I get a listen check from you, please? Actually, I'm let me get one from the captain as well. Absolutely. Oh, well, I failed mine. Okay. Get it, Mike. <laughs> yep, thirty one under fifty. Yeah. So, Sir Bartleby, you don't hear it, but Dance, you hear that the same asshole's like, hey, are you taking commissions now that you're out of <laughs> the house? That that gentleman and another one, you can hear a very slick comment uh, run between them 
couple other people picked it up too, but you definitely did. Um, but it's something to the effect uh, his future bride or his future hostage, and then they snicker. I just glance ever so quickly in their direction and verify I know who they are. Mm-hmm. And then my brain does a very simple cursive on their names across my memory. Because you don't get to talk shit without getting hit socially as far as I'm concerned. A thunderclap is heard overhead, Miss Vidya Ambani, as Emma looks to you and looks to the uh, pistol that's been set for you. She says, you do know how to use one, don't you? Or do they not do that where you're from? Oh boy, do I hold myself back or not? What do I say? Hmm. So I know just by looking at the gun they set aside for me that it's tampered. It's tampered with, yeah. They've done something with the hammer or, you know, there's something with the plating, but this this is this is a malfunctioning pistol. So when she makes that comment to me, I look her dead in the eye and I like take the pistol. How big is a pistol? Um, you know, like for you, it's probably like middle of your forearm down to the end of your, you know, middle finger. Okay, so pretty small. Yeah. Right? I spin it around in my hands and I say, I know one of these well enough to know that this isn't actually how it's meant to be used. What? Are you scared of being beat? Can I get an appearance check from you? An appearance check? Oh boy. Please be good. Ah, oh, I just failed. You want to burn some luck on it? I I have such low luck. I know. You'd still be above 20% though. <laughs> I wouldn't actually if oh, I dropped. Oh. Yeah. I I'm, I'm at tw- I started at 25 luck for anyone who remembers this. Oh yeah, from- that's right. <laughs> so push the roll. Ooh, I Oh, can I push Ooh. the roll? You most certainly can push that roll. How are you pushing this role? Because basically, I'm not asking for an intimidate check as much as I'm asking for a force of presence check here. Because here's what's going to happen. Either you're going to come off as arrogant, defiant, um, and rude, and I'm going to tank your reputation hard, or you're going to come off like, oh, is something wrong with the pistol? Is Emma scared? I'm going to open up the gun because she made that comment being like, do they? Do you even know how this works? And it's like, yes, I do. Ah! Uh, <laughs> no. My, my base score is a 50, so I don't think it's... I don't know if this is still a fumble or not. Okay. Miss Vidya Ambani, you double down on basically putting this woman in her place. And you begin dismantling the pistol so that you can demonstrate not only to her, but to everyone watching why this gun is in improper use, and that's when it goes off in your hand. Yikes. I do need a luck check, and I already know that your luck is in the ground. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, that is a failure. Do I shoot her? Do I shoot her? I mean, I could live with that in my head. Probably not, like, reputation-wise, but, like... The gun goes off with this crackling pop. Gun smoke completely fills the air along with shrieks and screams and gasps. And as the smoke settles, everyone is looking around trying to find out where exactly did that bullet go. And because it wasn't a fumble, thankfully it didn't go into anything living. 
There is a window of the Bland house uh, that's about 15 feet from Emma's head that has been shot through. And there is an immediate uproar of accusations and complaints. And she accused Emma of wrongdoing and she did not. This red mist is her fault. Take that gun out of her hand. Why did uh, the captain bring her here? And you can just, it's rising all around you right now. You are going to take a reputation hit from hell on this one. Holy shit. It drops you 11 points. Well, that still puts me above my starting. So that's not the end of the world. That's not the end of the world. She's plus one like the rest of us. Levels have been settled. It's perfect. One across the board. You arrogant, incompetent fool. How dare you make accusations on my property after I've extended an invitation to you. You! And look what you have done. I cannot believe this. This is Emma. And that's only with a malfunctioned gun. You should have seen me with a real one. And thank your lucky stars. I feel like at this point, after hearing what everyone is saying, Vidya in this moment, does not care. She knew that this was rigged from the beginning. Yeah. And so she's just, she's not even looking at what anyone else is saying, but she's making eye contact with Emma. Okay. Contact me next time you actually want a fair competition. And then I walk off the stage towards Grace. You're not going to embarrass yourself like that and then double down at this girl again. I'm going to tank your reputation again for that last comment that you made towards her which is going to drop you by another six. Arg. Now, unless I'm wrong, and I have Mike Diamond on background for me, she's hit 17 loss in a very short period of time. Is she censored? Yeah, if an investigator loses one-fifth in a day's starting reputation, they are censored. So what, what was your total rep? Uh, what did you start the day with, baby? I started with 72. I think a fifth is 14. You took 11 from her, plus another six is 17. Okay. You are effectively censored, which means you are at a negative. Basically, you're at a a penalty die uh, for all social interactions going forward. What is your total reputation score right now, too? 55. 55 puts you in the 40 to 59, which is perfectly average and respectable. So as of right now, you could be rolling with two penalty die, but you're just rolling with one in all social um, circumstances right now. Woof which is going to hurt as you storm off and Grace Ratcliffe runs behind you uh, and people are sneering and sniggering and glaring at you and you can just see them, you know, coming together to further gossip. Of course, gentlemen, this is going to come back to all of you at some point. So everyone is going to be aware of all of the information. It's, you know, mill puddle. This information is going to go very, very quickly. The last thing I want to do is reconcile Vidya's horse. I am going to roll with basically my stable master's first aid to see how he did. He's rolling at a 60. With that type of injury, this is literally going to be whether or not he makes the decision to put your horse down or whether or not he's able to continue with it. So I am rolling under 60. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, my gosh. Thank God. Oh. He will inform Sir Captain Dance and the Bartlebees that he did not agree with the decision to keep this horse alive, but he was able to work on it the best he can. It'll be months before he can ride again, possibly years, but he can save the horse's life. 
Well, it's a task that he's been given, so that's what he'll do. Thank goodness. I can't have her come here and have her favorite horse die. And then the last montage scene I do want to do is I want to cycle back to Sir Bartleby coming uh, back home, home over at the dances um, establishment at some point. Uh, and one Mr. Davidson uh, already sitting in chambers waiting for him. Captain Dance, you're more than welcome to be a part of this scene as well. I am there. Okay. Grace, you know, will lead you into the chamber. She will have tea uh, brought and, um, well, he's not Sir Davidson. It's just Mr. Davidson is there. Good evening, Mr. Davidson. <laughs> as he, like, he's rolling his sleeves up after the long day. He's been out and about chasing errands for the captain. He's just like, what a pleasure to see you this evening. Indeed, Sir Bartleby. Thank you so much for your hospitality at a home that I believe belongs to Captain Dance. And he bows at you as well. Indeed. Well, owned by me, but um, shepherded by my sister while I'm away at sea. Well, it appears that she does an absolutely lovely job of doing so. She does. She does indeed. Uh, she runs a fine house and always has. And he nods. He says, may I sit? You may. And he takes a seat. He says, uh, Sir Hugo Bartleby, you and I have a mutual acquaintance, I believe. She sends her regards. How's she keeping? Well enough, given the circumstances in pool, as you can imagine. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, do you have a message, perhaps, Mr. Davidson? From Annie? Then he looks <laughs> to you almost like, really? <laughs> uh, he says, uh, no, from Annie. No, I, I, I most certainly do not. However, I do have a piece of information that may be of interest to you. Captain Dance, there is an individual uh, that resides in a Molly house there in Poole. An American, an apothecary, as a matter of fact. Hmm. Of course, I don't know if any of these things, sodomy is still a capital crime here. However, when last I spoke to this particular individual, he told me something very queer. And he kind of like raises um, an overarched eyebrow at you. He says he mentioned that in one of the original colonies in the States, that there was a small town that was also visited, visited by a comet. And in this wake, left one of these clouds behind. He claims he was the only survivor, of course. Of course. However, I didn't pay much mind to his story at the point that he told me, but. Well, given recent events in the past couple of weeks, I have more than enough reason to believe that he was telling the truth. I can give you his name and his description. Certainly. He's going to pull out a handkerchief, a handkerchief that's like now that's like, you know, navy blue and pink. Mm -hmm. uh, he is going to uh, wipe his forehead and he says one Isaac Chambers. And you know this, the location of this man? Annie does. Hmm. Annie. I sort of repeat her name just a little bit, just slightly under my breath. I'll let them consider what I mean by that. Hmm. Well, perhaps we'll have to ask Mr. Chambers to uh, expound on what he knows. I think that would be wise, Captain Dance. Hmm. Are you here then to supply this information or is there some other matter? He flippantly like waves a hand and he was like, well, I have been commissioned to outfit your first mate hmm. in some new finery. 
And I'm more than happy to oblige. But however, no, that is the sole reason of my visit. And please, if you would, Mr. Davidson, please save this man. A sort of gesture to Bartleby. We know that his fashion sense is perhaps a bit lacking. Poor, outdated, flimsy, lackluster. Yes. He's smiling at you while he's he's openly teasing you, which is a bold <laughs> move to do, Bartleby, but he's still doing it. You can see why he and Annie probably get along. Yeah, I'm seeing it. I'm also just like, <laughs> I'm aware that my, <laughs> well, my wardrobe is a bit behind the times. However, <laughs> you'll find I mostly spend my money on ladies' clothes to give as gifts. Hmm. Well, then I'm going to require, not ask, require, that um, you spend some sterling on yourself. It's long since past times you did that. I don't see why not. Um, yeah, so I'm going to work out with uh, Davidson what his requirements are for, you know, like price out, you know, a full, full get up for mm-hmm. the season. But um, one that has flexibility like his own, one that uh, doesn't quite restrict my movement the way my current gear does. And that will be one of the easiest, if not most comical consultations of all times. I want to make sure that I put a word into Davidson's ear before I leave um, to the effect of there is um, a guest here at the house whom you're well aware of by now. Miss Mpani is a very important guest to the house. And she is having coming out party in the near future. Tell me, as Taylor, do you only focus solely on the clothes of men? And a smirk starts to pull on his left side of his face. He says, oh, no, darling. Highly disrespectful, but he still says it. Oh, no, darling. I'm open to all commissions. You should see some of the soaks that she's brought. If you were fishing, this is this is the one piece of bait that he can't turn away from. You have him completely on the hook right now. Like, if, if he could be melting right now, he could be melting. Indian silk? What? Perhaps, then, uh, if there is interest, we can arrange a tea um, later in the week. You could stop by and um, continue your discussions with Bartleby and um, perhaps view, if not sample the texture of such textiles. He looks to you and he says, Captain Dance, I can assure you there are only a few things that would bring me more pleasure than exactly that. Wonderful. I'll leave the two of you to it. I nod and then spin heel and satisfactorily walk out of the... Uh, And Bartleby, as you guys are going through your consultation, he's getting your measurements. Uh, He's quoting out colors to you that don't make any sense. Like colors should just be like red or green or blue, but he's coming with like coral and opaque this and these weird, I mean, he's all over the place. Chartreuse. Chartreuse. And he's, you're just, what is happening? Why is this? But he's holding back uh, because he understands now that he might have a whole new palette to play with. So he's giving mm-hmm. you what he has, but like, he's going to have a whole new palette to play with here in a minute. He just needs to get to this meeting with Miss um, um, Ambani. The one thing he is going to uh, say to you uh, as he is packing up his equipment and he's getting ready to go back to the Bland house Sir Bartleby, this is, well, it's absolutely not my place. However, in a spirit of transparency, I will say this much. The Blands really hate that girl. 
the whites hate her too. She has very few friends in this small village. They hate her more than they hate me. And that's impressive. If you do travel for her safety, I would take her with you. Mr. Davidson, I'd not been aware of the exactness of the, her uh, local reputation. However, after the incident with the gun, I have been thinking there might be repercussions. So I'm inclined to agree. Plus, it might be good for the young lady to become acquainted with England as a country, with its land and its layout, don't you think? Get to know about the uh, some of our roots. And he, he's like thinking about the horrible muddy road we came along. And her horse broke its leg on down a hill. He's like, oh, maybe not the best phrasing, but eh, it'll do. <laughs> I can't speak to that, Sir Balderby, but I can speak to this. She'll be safer with you two than she will be here alone. Mr. Davidson, you are a gentleman. I trust you will be fair with me with pricing this garment out. And I will, of course, include a gratuity for your uh, consideration as regards Miss Amani. He nods. Oh, Sir Bartoby, a gentleman never, never discusses costs. They just send an invoice and he winks at you. Also super disrespectfully. It's in good humor for him. He feels safe. Totally. Bartoby's going to laugh at this because he's just like, <laughs> that is fair. If I had to ask, I couldn't afford it. I'll see to Miss Ambani as invited by the captain. She's a nice lass. You'll be not, you'll get on well with her. Well, from what I've heard, she has quite the tongue on her. I suppose we will get along quite well. Mr. Davidson, if there's nothing else for you today, I uh, reckon I might have a wash and settle down for the evening. Okay. At some point, you guys are all having dinner together. And Grace is going to be outlining uh, the details of the coming out ball uh, that is going to be happening in two weeks. So four weeks from the point that the mist arrived and the comet passed overhead. Uh, and the one thing that she's being very intentional about is rolling out the expectations that have been sent by the Bland family. Uh, they are requiring that Vidya does not appear with any weapons whatsoever. <laughs> she is not allowed to touch any of the weapons whatsoever. This is decorative or otherwise. They are requiring that her entire coterie of animals be present. And they want them there the day before the party. So they want the panther in the middle of the ball in a, just this giant bird cage thing that they fashion. They want the horses in their stable and they want the birds scattered uh, all around the house. They are going to be hosting it uh, on their glass enclosed ballroom that is facing the red mist. And they are playing into this, you know, geographic climate event with the red mist. So um, red is the color of the ball. And Grace is sitting down at dinner with all of you going over these expectations, these demands, these requirements and things of that nature. She looks tired. Yeah, I, I guess my commentary for the menagerie um, moving would be that um, obviously the host will have to guarantee that the animals will not be able to break out of the enclosures that they're in and that um, if any of the animals, especially the panther, and at which point I will sort of give space, air a little bit in the conversation and then follow up and say, which everyone should be aware is a predator cannot be allowed to be out of its enclosure. My baby wouldn't hurt anyone who didn't deserve it. <laughs> that is quite enough, Miss Ambani. I, I silence myself and, you know, I, I restrain myself. <laughs> I spent more than enough time talking with folks after your pistol incident. I won't have any animal incidents either. 
if she wanted a show of arms, why would she why would she rig my weapon? The same question I am asking about why she would ask your menagerie to be there. I do not want them to have the animals the day before either, I turn to Grace, because I feel like it is dangerous to move them and allow their staff or potentially family members themselves to be exposed to them. We need to politely push back and say that for the animal safety, they can arrive along with Miss Ambani as her station requires. After all, the menagerie is part of her caravan. I understand, brother. I shall re-enter negotiations with Arthur Bland immediately. Are there any other adjustments that we should be making? Yes, absolutely. I've become very concerned about the Chapawhite family. There were two gentlemen. Well, we were having a recent meeting with elders at the pub. And they've said some very terrible and cross things about, about guests here in the house. And I don't like it. I want to make sure that they are prevented from coming to the event. Her eyes pull up because she has like her, her, her pen and her paper. She's making notes and you know she's very organized. She's very meticulous. It's definitely her name. But she looks up from the paper and she says, And how exactly would you like us to handle that, brother? You'll forgive me if I've been at sea for a year. And I'll put it this way, Grace. I sort of put my fork down. Either the hosts will understand that um, we won't have a tent full of whispers there when Miss Mbani arrives. Or I will simply ask Mr. Bartleby to handle it. And I will guarantee you that if the hosts cannot acquiesce to my concerns, Mr. Bartleby shall have no problem doing so. I understand, brother. And she will throw a very patient and loving older sister look over to you, Bartleby. She's actually probably your age. She's in her 50s. She's a little bit older than me, but yeah. A little bit older than you. Miss Ambani, is there any are there any questions or any other adjustments that we need to make on your behalf? Does Emma have to be there? Yes, unfortunately, she will be the star of the show. <sighs> yes, she'll be coming out as well. I hate Emma. As do we all, child. As do we all. When this when this <laughs> takes place, I'll uh. I, I suppose I'll I'll let crack a, a slight smile at the idea of the people who dislike Emma. It does not surprise me that clearly Emma feels upstaged by Vidya's appearance. Oh God, yeah. And she probably feels like her uh, coming out party is being rained all over by some quote foreigner. Yep. So um, yeah, I'll bear that in mind. Last thanks. I need to know the primary colors of which you two are wearing. Uh, interested, well, and she kind of pauses, and she says, I need to know the primary color that you are wearing, brother, uh, as any interested ladies may wish to match jewelry to demonstrate their um, attraction or willingness to be approached. Hmm. It's almost like she totally forgot that you were engaged, probably, because she knows <laughs> it's bullshit, too. Yep. And she knows badly he's probably not gonna fucking honor this engagement anyway. Right. Hmm. Even if it was a, a willing participant thing. I suppose it would be um, only right and true for the, for me to wear red. What with okay. the mist. And also for England. So yes, for certain red. Okay. Uh, because women in Regency era 
would match their jewelry, their fans or the outfit to if they could get the color that the gentleman was wearing prior to arrival, basically to do like an open invitation. It's like, hey, I'm here for you too. And Sir Robert Dance, you know, depending on how you want to look at it, like you're technically an eligible bachelor at this event as well. And probably one of the most attractive looking men in Millpuddle or Millpool anyways. Yeah, not just that too, but from a from a status standpoint, from mm-hmm. a money standpoint, from a Royal Royal Navy Commission title. Yeah. So my concern would be how many people are going to be wearing red jewelry? <laughs> Woo! How many people can find out what you were wearing? Because that requires them knowing. Right. So I would just I would just say after I tell her red, I'll, I'll look at Grace and say, um, I trust sister, you'll be mindful as to who knows what color I'll be wearing. I wouldn't want to, to tire my feet out, of course. <laughs> she nods and smiles. She says, it's just not me. You have to worry about brother. And she throws an eye to like one of the servants who's just like, you know, retrieving food from the table. <laughs> And as that dinner is coming to a close and Grace has her new marching orders uh, to uh, negotiate with the Bland family, Miss Vidya, something arrives at the house for you. Uh, This is a grand spectacle of a thing where it takes like five or six servants to actually bring this item in through the front door. And it's placed in the sitting room where all three of you guys can see it along with Grace. And once it is just unveiled through this super, you know, over traditional, hyped up, suspense wielding, whip off the curtain on the count of three, simultaneously with four other people type of thing, uh, what is unveiled before you, Vidya Ambani, is a santur. Uh, a santur is a string instrument of India, uh, which is used in Indian classical music. Uh, it says that this instrument. Uh, can be traced through the old scriptures called the Vedas, in which a hundred strings of grass uh, will be played with wooden sticks. Um, This is about the size of the torso of a man, uh, just a little bit more fragile and a lot heavier because it's a lot um, denser. It has these rounded mallets that are made from walnut wood. And you're familiar with this instrument. You can play this instrument. Perfect. And you know that this produces a harmonious melody that is very similar to the music of a harp. Uh, Those curved mallets are sometimes called the Mizrab, and they're lightweight and they're played between the index and the middle finger. This, this is, mm, this is analogous to somebody dropping a piano off to your house. Wow. This is big. This is huge. And it took a lot of intentionality for someone to actually either find Someone who could make this or find a Santor here in England. And all it comes with is a note uh, that is sealed in wax, suspiciously without a family crest. And it says, looking forward to seeing you soon, Miss Vidya Ambani. So I have no idea who it's from. I hope it's not some weird prank from Emma. This, this would take a lot of intentionality for it to be a prank. It could be. Looking forward to seeing me soon. There's no sign that it's from my dad? No. And this person says they're going to see me soon. How interesting. Can I play the instrument to make sure it sounds the way I think it does and it's not some weird prank from Emma trying to sabotage me again? Yeah, you're able to pick up pick up those uh, curved mallets and your fingers dance across a hundred strings and this entire room is filled with just the sound of more or less harp music. It's stunning 
Probably reminds me of home. Yeah. It's a rather strange sound, but it's beautiful in its own way. Yeah, I'm I'm super grateful that it, it is around. Should should I be playing this at the coming out party? I I I have no idea who sent this. I think that may also inform your uh, the answer of your question there. Tell me, um, if someone were to drop up such an instrument off as part of a dowry for a wedding where you're from, an engagement of any kind, what message would it send if the person, when they arrived, saw them playing it? An acceptance? An agreement? To some degree, yes, I would think so. Then I would ask you, do you think you should be playing it? I... I don't know. I don't even know who sent this, so probably not. Correct. That is the correct answer. <laughs> Better to find out who sent it first and their um, intentions. That makes sense. I'll make some inquiries. Perhaps Bartleby can assist us in that. This such an instrument couldn't have come from nowhere. It came from somewhere. And it had to be carted in, given its size. Which means someone will have seen who loaded it. Or they've been paid to not say. And then it's simply a matter of finances to find out who. <laughs> I wonder if this means I have an admirer. Oh, I think there's no question. I think Vidya feels very flattered. This is a major gift. Like literally somebody just dropped off a baby grand piano to your house. Miss Grace will ask for the letter to which she will read it over. And she will throw up. A glance over at her brother, and she will fold it and hand it back. And she says, it sounds beautiful, darling. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, that's telling. All right. Um, so I'll, I'll wait to have time with my sister later. Perhaps uh, she'll be able to inform me. Just mark that down in my logbook here. I was like, huh, of all the things to do. Yep, got it. Anything else you guys need to do walking up to the ball? I guess for the for the ball, I will trade out the normal dark naval uniform mm-hmm. for a red version of it with like the gold piping that crisscrosses in front down on both sides and uh, I make sure that um, yeah that I'm complete and utter handsome from head to toe okay so while we're here Robert Dance can you please roll me a fashion check you are going to be rolling with a bonus die well, that's right because you have a buddy here uh, that likes you. And also, he sent a box to your house Aww. the day before the dance. All right. So my normal roll is a 75, but my bonus die is three. So that's a 35. Okay. And so here's what I'm going to do, because, of course, it's a ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck it. Why not? You only live once, right? I'm going to spend 10 luck, and I'm going to make that fashion a hard success. Yes. Ooh. Yeah, you bet. One. Captain Sir Dance, you are getting ready to slay the shit out of this ball. You already have the reputation. You have the appearance. And whatever you're wearing has been perfectly cut, beautifully suited. You're in a, an off-naval version, official you know, uniform version of your normal attire. And you received a pair of cufflinks from your tailor, which you're kind of confused how a tailor was able to either fashion them this quickly or if even like this should be coming from a jeweler, not a tailor. But they are a pair of cufflinks that have the ace of spade on them. It's a um, a slight nod to my sister and I. Just a slight one. Just just a slight one. 
So, Sir Bartleby, you got to go home at some point. You're, you're checking in on Diana. You're checking in on your family. You are expected to uh, show off your new bride. Uh, well, your future bride at this party. Uh, but you're also going to be escorting Diana to her coming out party at 12. It's one of those things. Um, your father can't make the trip. Your sister will be there. But your sister isn't a male figure to escort your other sister. So how is Sir Bartleby dressed? Because he's looking clean, honey. The color of the event is red. He is wearing a very dark red. It's classical Georgian cut outfit. He has decided to go with, however, fairly cutting edge pantaloons with dark red silk stockings. He is cutting a dashing figure, even though he still has a lifetime of work showing (laughs) on his face and hands. But, um... No, he dresses up well. Okay. Uh, you have to arrive to your house to collect your party. Uh, your sister arrives in the dress that you previously described in uh, episode one. And um, she's had a couple adjustments done. It was oversized for, for her, but you didn't know. You know, it is what it was. So she's had a couple adjustments done. And it's one is absolutely stunning. She looks absolutely gorgeous. And she feels like a princess in this moment. Uh, but you also know, brimming in the back of your head, that with the certain style and the silks that were used and some of the patterns that are on this dress, it's going to turn some heads and it might actually victimize her too. Yeah, so he's going to have her sit next to him in the carriage and he's just going to, all right, Deanna, now look, you know how people can be, much like your sister, when they talk behind one's back. I got you this, and it is a beautiful dress, as I think you will agree. However, some folk will disagree, or be jealous, or be petty and small-minded. And they'll say, oh, look at her, she's got notions wearing foreign garb. Even though it is a European cut dress made of foreign materials. (laughs) These are two very different things. Ignore that, my little angel. And besides, you tell me who... I'll sort of. And she smiles and sitting next to your carriage, she's, she's not going to be able to help it. She's going to have to lean over and kind of give you that kiss on the top of your nose. And she smooths out her dress and she opens up her shoulders a bit and she goes, thank you. I love it. I think it's beautiful. Remember, no matter what they say, be proud of who you are and what you do. Because no one is as charming as you, my dear. And he's just going to like, <laughs> not ruffle her hair, but like just head pat. Leaning in from, you know, um, uh, the rear of this uh, carriage here is going to be your future bride. She is just going to lean up and just very quickly give your sister like the side kiss to kiss female friend thing where she Mm -hmm. just kind of like pecks her on the side of the cheek. Uh, And you can hear her whispers like you really do look quite lovely. And she goes, thank you. And she's she's ready for the ball. She's going to look at you and she says, uh, this is Deanna still. She says, did you hear about what Mithan Bani said to Emma? <laughs> and yeah, the chuckle's deep in his chest. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> I think, I think, I think if Myth Ambani can survive that, I can survive this. That's right. Besides, you wouldn't want her to show you up now, would you? Hmm. I hate her. Everybody does, my dear. Is there a way that, like, in those weeks of friendship, I could have 
convinced the tailor to also make Fanny a dress made out of silk. Davison is so damn busy, and he didn't. Even, he was locked in that house for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike got him out, and now he's running through the other half of town. Yep, fashion house arrest. Right, <laughs> Miss Miss Ambani. Yes. And if he doesn't have the time to do full dresses, he can at least do the filaments where he can make updates to their current dress. Mm-hmm. Are you guys all going in there with Indian adjacent garb? I would just say the red might be from England, but the golden color that I'll use will be Indian gold. Hell yeah. Yes. Okay. Miss Vidya Ambani. Uh, really fast. Dance, you're escorting Miss Ambani, correct? That's correct. Okay. Robert. Yes this can be problematic. How problematic? It's the white boy. All right. That seems to be a problem then, yes. What do we know of him? She pauses and she looks to you and she's searching for something in your body language and she's searching for something in your face and she's delaying off of that because she's looking for something that she's not getting. Speak plainly, Grace. Just tell me what the problem is. Well, there are several problems with a potential engagement with the White family, but I think this problem strikes closer to home. Very well. What problem does it leave for us, then? Are you in pursuit of Miss Ambani? What? No. Why? She looks you over once, twice, and she's still getting unsatisfied with what she's getting back. She had a notion in her head and it's not meeting what you're showing her. So you can tell there's that weird confusion there. Grace, she is half my age. She's a very beautiful young woman. There is no doubt of that. She comes from an amazing lineage in her homelands. She is rich beyond even English dreams in some cases. Um, But that is not on my table, as far as I'm aware. Why? I've heard stories about the books, Robert. Book club? Oh, give a man at sea six months. What is he to do? Must be something to discuss other than another day of rain. Another night of rain. Perhaps a steward fisher trying to pickle himself in between people. Give my heartbroken brother six months at sea and what he might do is fall in love. I do enjoy the country. I have been several times, as you're aware. And she would be a wonderful attachment to have for many years, but there's been barely a word between us. There have been no improprieties at all. I know. I would never accuse you of such. You know that. Bartleby knows her more than I do at this point. Bartleby has his own nuptial issues, doesn't he? I shake my head. That poor girl. I give like a a bodily sigh. I wish it were something better for him. I have given him as much counsel as I can on that. I I don't know. I think I know what he will do, but I do not know if he can see it through. She is so young. I do worry. I do worry that Miss Mbani will be gobbled up by English society. So I'll keep an eye on her. Just an eye. I'll say this, brother. There is not a single English gentleman at that ball that is worthy of her. Other than you. Well, I I do appreciate your confidence. I understand that they're um, under better times. Miss Vidya would likely have more suitors, better suitors. Unfortunately, it's simply not a choice she will get. Not unless she decides to 
run away. And we couldn't have that. No, with half of our major cities on fire. And she glances out the window at that mist that's just there. And other obstacles. No, we couldn't have that at all. As a matter of fact, you're going to be late. And that's just simply not something the dance household can tolerate. Of course not. Of course not. I straighten my jacket. Come on now, give your brother a kiss. We've got to go. She'll huff, and then she will, uh, she'll give you a kiss on the cheek. You look dashing. Thank you. A simple word to a nearby tailor. And she says something slick underneath her breath as she's walking away. Like, it's not just a simple tailor. It's the most coveted tailor. You know, it's just something cute. And Miss Vidya Ambani, tell us how you are dressed and how you are feeling this evening. You rode a lot of miles to get to this day. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think what I am wearing... It's not going to be traditional Regency attire, but I am going to abide by, you know, modesty mm-hmm. in the Regency era. So I think what Vidya is wearing is, if everyone's wearing red, red is also like the bridal color, like Ooh. in like India and Hinduism and things like that. So she's down to wear like the rich maroon with like gold accents, paisley all over. And she's going to wear an anarcholi, which is basically a... It basically looks like a dress, but it's like fit over fitted pants. But the dress length, it's still Ooh. dress length. So because it's one of the closest things to a dress that is like still modest where, you know, you have the traditional langas, which are a crop top over a maxi skirt, which may not fly in Regency England. But an anarchy is like a continuous like piece of fabric that looks like a dress, basically. Yeah, just like a long dress over fitted pants but the top is still dress length so it should still look mostly like a dress but just for you know logistics sakes and for any busy people listening there are pants underneath I promise Mm -hmm. so she is wearing yeah like maroon with gold accents gold jewelry gold everything and she's wearing eyeliner like makeup done in like a very like to highlight her her features and her skin tone uh, wearing like a typical bindi, she she's dressed in she's showing up in all Indian attire. She's just abiding by the Regency modesty principles, but it's like make no mistake, Vidya is an Indian girl, and uh, absolutely gorgeous description by the way, noob Jesus, Sir Robert Dance, Captain Sir Robert Dance. How does this look like as or what does this look like as the three of you guys arrive? Oh, I think that um, we have managed. We have managed to secure a very beautiful carriage. Okay. Um, because myself, my first mate, and Miss Vidya will be arriving together as we are a group. And uh, we will be pulling a fantastic menagerie train. Each of the carts done up in a, an additional um, uh, finery. We will also be displaying from each of the animals' carts a separate different colorful flag one of Miss Vidya's bearing and her home country as to sort of announce the arrival of this little wonderful beautiful slice of India that's come to Dorset may I have fashion checks from Bartleby and Ambani please oh boy as the carriage moves across the cobblestone bridge over the creek and you can see just that red mist idling just waiting for you to arrive I fail by like 10%. 
<laughs> oh, okay. I that's know. All right. Bartleby got a normal success, but I'd like to spend two points and get it to a hard. <gasps> Worth it. You guys arrive to the Bland Estate. There is a flurry of servants who are on standby right now to help relocate animals, place them. There's this whole strategy that they have unveiled, and you guys are going to be put basically into a massive foyer with many of the other people of Millpuddle um, pending your introductions into the ballroom space. Because in in Regency Cthulhu, you are ushered into any formal dinners or any formal event uh, in order of importance. So you guys are all kind of sitting down, or not sitting down, you're idling around um, in a foyer area. None of the Bland family is there, just the other families. Uh, The White family is, of course, there. Um... And one by one, you guys are going to be getting introduced into the ballroom area. Miss Vidyan Bonnie, you rode six months to get to this point in history, to get to this point in time, and you prepare for two years prior. This is your moment. Sir Bartleby, your baby sister doesn't deserve this, but she does look super cute. And you have your future bride here along with you where you both have the simultaneous and the, the the similar understanding that neither of you want to be here neither of you want to be involved in this engagement but there might not be any other opportunities for you so Robert Dance one thing you do notice is those two household gentlemen are not here in the holding area <laughs> none of their family members are present they are not present <laughs> fantastic and we are going to pick up with the ball on episode five. Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much, cast and uh, keeper. I thought it was fantastic. I hope all of our audience enjoyed it. And uh, we're going to see one hell of a ball. So uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Old Ways Podcast, Echoes in the Mist, our Reason C and Cthulhu campaign. We will see you next time. <laughs>